This is the Wealth and Law Podcast, a podcast about the intersection of personal wealth and the legal landscape. We'll take a deep dive into relevant topics. We'll basically teach you what we know, and we'll engage with guests with deep expertise in their field. We hope that you'll enjoy this episode and many more episodes. So please join us on this journey as we try to bring you relevant information that is both timely and important for you to know in order to engage in this area of the world. Welcome to the Wealth and Law Podcast. You are in the right place. This is what you're looking for. And if you're looking for something else, uh, that's fine too. Everybody has their own flavor. So I get it. doesn't bother me. I'm not offended. It's uh, the end of August 2023. Just kind of catch you up here at the end of the summer. What what we've been up to, where this thing is headed as uh, we enter into the last quarter of the year. We just finished up. A summer with lots of podcast episodes, including uh, a repeat of the estate planning boot camp series. It was a repeat from not this summer, but last summer. And it's a great series. Uh, I think it has a lot of really valuable information in it. So if you or someone you know or work with needs a refresher or needs to be reminded, I guess, if that's a more palatable way to say it, about estate planning topics on a basic level, introductory type topics, things like what is a will, what is a revocable trust, what is a healthcare power of attorney, what is a durable power of attorney. Uh, these are topics that are discussed in the boot camp series. It is meant to help people uh, get their understanding up to at least a basic level so then you can start building on top of that. So maybe some of the themes that we talk about in other episodes, if they're a little high level or maybe down in the weeds, sorry, uh, but they're not quite high level enough, This the bootcamp series is meant to be a little more high level to get you at least up to speed on some of the basic stuff on the theme of estate planning. And uh, I'm joined with guests on all of those. It's not just me talking uh, for the good of everybody, I'm sure. But uh, the guests that joined me to do the the boot camp series are all attorneys who just practice in that area, who are all excellent, well-regarded, credentialed, uh, significantly awarded lawyers who are perfect for those topics and could talk about those topics all day long in extreme detail. But instead of having very long episodes, I chose for that series to make the episodes short. So most of them are 15 to 20 minutes, very digestible, quick listens, doesn't take up a lot of your time. And it'll get you to where you'll at least hopefully have a base level of understanding of how the whole estate planning process works, what all the different documents are, how they work together, etc. So I commend that to you if you haven't listened to it yet, or if there's somebody that you know or work with who you think could, could use it, check it out. Uh, I think it's a great resource, and it turned out better than I was expecting when I sat down to try to record it with all these guests last year, so I, I hope that everybody else is getting some value out of it. We're moving into the last quarter of 2023. Of course, most people are mentioning what's going to happen in 2026, which is when the Trump tax changes specifically that relate to individuals will sunset, and that includes the estate tax exemption amount, which is currently about $13 million per person. It's indexed for inflation, so maybe in 2026 it'll be somewhere around Six and a half million, seven million per person. Who knows? We will find out then. And so I suspect that things will get very busy 
and really kick off with a lot of gifting and nervousness in the next couple of years, at least for people who are who are concerned about estate taxes. Well, one of the things that you do when you're trying to plan for estate tax, whether someone is above the exemption that exists now or could exist in 2026, or maybe they're somewhere near the exemption level, is you try to freeze the value of that person's estate. A tried and true way to do that is to make intrafamily loans. And I don't want to get too bogged down into the weeds on intrafamily loans, but I do need to at least state a couple of basic rules. So when I start talking about some of this stuff, it will make a little more sense. So first of all, there is a basic rule that says if you make a loan to a family member and that loan does not at least bear the applicable federal rate of interest, then what happens is the IRS pretends that you gifted that amount of interest to your family member and then they paid it to you in the form of interest income. And you basically just assume that interest is built into the note, that the note has a loan balance of less than the loan balance that's that's in that loan. And then you assume that what's left over is interest income coming back to you plus a gift to the family members, which could be a significant amount. So you want to avoid that always. Uh, just don't even mess with it. And you want to have, uh, you want to have at least the applicable federal rate applied to the loan. There are actually three applicable federal rates. Uh, one is for short-term loans. These are three-year loans. Uh, there's one for mid-term loans. This is loans of, say, up to nine years. And then there's a long-term applicable federal rate for loans of, of more than nine years or for basically every other loan by, by subtraction there. And those rates, of course, have been going up. Very traditionally, those rates were always tiered where the the longer-term rates were higher than the short-term rates. That's as far as I can remember. Um, I'm sure it's happened the other way in, in history, but as far as I can remember, that's always the way it's been. Now, in the current environment with interest rates going up, that's actually flipped on its head. Now, the short-term rate is higher than the long-term rate. There's a reason for that. Uh, again, I want to get too much in the weeds, but basically, it is it's loosely based off of certain certain federal rates. And so, as the shorter-term lending rates for the federal government go up then it can push these short-term rates higher than the long-term rates. So that's what's happened now. For example, in September 2023, the short-term or the minimum short-term AFR rate, applicable federal rate, is 5.12% annually, if it compounds annually. The midterm rate is 4.19%, and the long-term rate is exactly the same as the midterm rate. It's also 4.19%. There is a sec. There's a another interest rate. I was going to say second, but I guess it's a fourth in in the context of this uh, interest rate in estate planning and estate tax planning that you'll hear about sometimes is the 75/20 rate, and the 75/20 rate is equal to 120% of the midterm rate for the month that you're using, and the 70, 75/20 rate is always is always rounded a little bit differently. So it's 5% right now, 5.0%. And uh, so that's a it's a relatively modest 75-20 rate. All of these rates are actually relatively modest in historical terms. Um, they're somewhere around average. I think the average rates are slightly higher, but if I'm remembering right. But, you know, compared to the last six, seven, maybe eight years, certainly, um, these are very high rates. In fact, not too long ago, the rates were virtually zero. And so for them to go from virtually zero to 5% is is quite a lot of increase, but a, a pretty typical 
way to do a state, state, state tax planning, excuse me, in the context of these rates is to make loans. Because what you're trying to do is limit the value of the assets that the client has in their hands, or at least to make the value certain. Because if I, for example, own Apple stock, I don't know what the value of that stock will be in the future. It's uncertain. It can go up and down. But if instead, at least for the term of the loan, I have a note payable to me, I know exactly what the value of that note is. At least the presumed value for state tax purposes is the face value of the note, whatever the principal balance is due and owing plus the interest rate. And that exchange of volatility for certainty is something that can be quite handy in estate tax planning because the estate tax applies to the value of property that you own. It's purely based on the value. So if you can control the value, you can control the uncertainty of a major increase in that value, which would then kick you either into a situation where you'd have to pay estate tax if you passed away, or it would just serve to increase the estate tax because if you're above the exemption amount, any amount of increase in your net worth is really, without other planning, uh, just increasing the amount of estate tax is going to be owed to the federal government. It's like you're just earning money for estate taxes in some sense. So you have to focus in on some of these techniques, one of which is to make intrafamily loans. And some of these, when I say loans, sometimes this is, is structured in terms of the sale of assets as well. Uh, but I'm going to talk about it in terms of loans as if you're writing a check. When you have interest rates that are going up, of course, then there's some risk that if you do a short-term loan, so you do a three-year note, you pay it off in three years, and now you have to do a new loan, well, in three years, the interest rates can be very high. So the inclination often is to just lock in a long-term loan. And if you did that, then you don't have the risk that the interest rates will fluctuate on you. And so in some senses, if you're thinking about doing a loan and then you're thinking about the two extremes of structures for these loans, one extreme is to do just a short-term note, very short-term loan, but that's got the maximum exposure to risk for rate fluctuation in the future if you ever want to do more loans, or you do a long-term loan, but if you do the long-term loan, you have the least amount of rate change risk but you're also locking in high rates. So what if the rates go down, which, which could happen, of course. You, you just never know, especially over a long period of time. So I think you have to make a judgment call between those two possible outcomes and which, which of the outcomes that you're really trying to target and what risk you're trying to protect against. However, of course, everything is not black and white. And everything is not binary, binary in that way. And so you have to actually analyze the, the options in between. So there are, of course, infinite combinations of options in between because we're talking about numbers. And you can never divide numbers down to a perfect zero uh, off, off these kinds of calculations. So let's just say that we're going to use very, very round uh, calculations here that are going to be very helpful. So example number one. You look at the short-term, 100% short-term option, you think, now there's too much risk there. You look at the long-term option, you think, boy, I just don't know. What if, instead of doing that, you divide up the loan in thirds? One-third long-term, one-third midterm, one-third short-term. And it actually turns out, compared to the long-term loan, where you have the least amount of risk to rate fluctuation, the one-third, one-third, one-third split actually is quite a bit cheaper in terms of overall 
interest that has to be paid on those loans. So for example, if you are lending a million dollars and your long-term note is 15 years, so your short-term note is three and then nine for mid and then 15 for long, uh, your, your overall interest is close to uh, $230,000 less than if you just did a long-term loan, so 100% long-term. So if you do a 30-30-30, you save your money uh, in some sense on on interest that is going to come back to the client, like the interest does actually need to be paid. And so the distinction between those numbers can be can be significant. So sometimes you look at those numbers and you think maybe it doesn't make a lot of sense to do just one long-term loan. Maybe you would want to hedge in that way. But a third or third or third, it, it has um, the benefit of being very synchronous, but it doesn't really maximize the interest rate savings or the interest savings if you're trying to focus in on that. So what if you were going to do 75% long-term 20% midterm and 5% short term. You wanted to lean a little more hedged towards locking in current interest rates. Well, the difference between that and the third or third or third is roughly $150,000 of extra interest that has to be paid back to your client. So your client's going to get enriched in that in that scenario by an extra $150,000. So then you have to decide, is that worth it to lock in just a little bit more of the interest rate and have less exposure to interest rate fluctuation. If you flip it and go the other way and say, no, we want to weigh this in favor of short term because we don't want to be locked into the long term interest rate because their interest rates are actually quite high right now, you could make the loan partly short term and partly midterm. Remember, the midterm and the short term rates are both the lowest currently, and they're the same. And they're and they're not the same, but the midterm rate is the lowest of the available options, including the long term. So the midterm is 4.19% and the short term is 5.12%. So if you had 25% midterm and 75% short term on a similar million dollar loan, you save against the all long term option, you save close to $430,000 in interest payments. And if you put everything in a midterm loan, it's about, uh, it's a, it's a, about a $378,000 total interest interest payment. So you have to really sit down and think through if you're going to if you're going to do a thorough analysis of all these options, all these interfamily loan options. You really do have to do a thorough analysis of what's the total amount of interest that could be paid over the course of the note, what is the risk that you're trying to hedge against? Is it an increase in interest rate? It's a, is it a possible decrease in interest rate? And then figure out, is it worth setting up that loan now to get back some set amount of interest? Again, the game is you're just trying to take property that could be invested in assets that vary in value over time and put it into a quote-unquote investment in the form of a loan to a family member that will, that will return a fairly certain number. So I just leave that a little bit as food for thought for any of you who are engaged in these sorts of transactions that when you're talking about doing loans among family members or sort of financing among family members, it's easy to fall into the trap of just doing a single note with a single term and a single interest rate. But when you're in an environment where the interest rates are changing, that might not always be the right answer. And it might makes sense to mix and match the loans and the terms of the loans, the the, the length of the loans, I mean, uh, so that you can utilize various interest rates under the AFR rules. 
And the AFR, by the way, it sets up the minimum interest rate. So you can always have more interest rate than the AFR, but the, the minimum interest rate is the AFR rate. So that's the rate we typically like to use because we're not trying to get back the maximum amount of interest paid back to our clients all the time, especially if they might have any sort of estate tax issue. All right, so I'm going to leave it there. Uh, hopefully that is semi-intelligible uh, and helpful. But if anybody was ever wondering, is is there anything less boring than intrafamily loans? The answer is possibly, but it gets slightly more spicy and interesting when you start mixing in uh, different loans, different terms to see which one is the maximum one and how to target the right number and the right return number for your client. So I'll leave it there. Thank you again for uh, joining me. I always appreciate it. And I'll see you again next week. Hey, listeners, thanks again for joining me on the podcast. It's fun to do it for you. If you're enjoying it, please subscribe at Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. Subscribe to my blog at wealthandlaw.com and follow me on social media at wealthandlaw. I'll see you there.